good morning and welcome uh, to worship. Whether you are uh, in person with us this morning, if you're online, we just want to welcome you, especially if you're here for your first time. Um, it is such a blessing to get to worship with you. We um, try to make this just a really welcoming and inviting space, a space that we can um, really have a conversation about what God is doing in our life and, and thank God for that. And so I am excited to get to worship with you this morning on Father's Day as we uh, honor those men in our lives. And, um, and this morning, um, we are continuing a sermon series called God's Story. And, and really, it's about finding ourselves, uh, placing ourselves in the story of God. What we've been learning is that um, throughout the Gospels uh, in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus, what we find there is that when Jesus gives a teaching or even when he's asked a difficult question, instead of giving the answers outright of what to do or, or how to act, Jesus instead uh, tells a story. Uh, he was a storyteller and, and he enjoyed um, kind of telling these things and, and, and you know, having the people kind of creep in a little closer and, and crane their necks in to hear the story. And, and in those stories, Jesus gives his teachings and he invites the listeners, um, both the original listeners and, and the listeners today, to place themselves within that story. And, and today, uh, we are talking about a story that is maybe familiar if you've grown up in the church, or, or if not, you might not have heard this one, but typically called the lost or the, the prodigal son. We'll talk about that word prodigal here in, in a little bit. Um, but it's the story in the Gospel of Luke in which Jesus tells the story, as Miss Emily um, earlier this morning has already just uh, really uh, done a great job of illustrating the story of, of a son who really becomes lost and a father who forgives him. And, uh, and an older brother who is maybe not so excited about that forgiveness. And, and that's what I've been really kind of thinking about this week is, um, is really about this idea of grace. You know, um, some of you know uh, that uh, my family and I live in McKinney currently, and um, we have been there now for almost two years. And and so I get the joy of driving down 75 uh, in, in the mornings. And, and uh, this is new for me. I, I've really never had a commute almost in my life. Like I've always lived about five minutes away from, my, from the place that I worked, specifically my church. And so, um, you know, to be honest, I kind of enjoy the 30 minutes of silence I get uh, as I'm heading into work. But, but I also have, there's this, you know, there's this thing called traffic that I have not known about until I came uh, to the Texas area. And, and here's what I've learned, you know, like, I can be driving along, and, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, this is, this is honesty moment, I, I speed a little. And, and I used to think that I sped a lot when I was in Oklahoma, but when I came to Texas, I learned about speeding. You guys taught me. Um, so I might have adapted really well. When I got the Texas license plate, I was like, oh, now I get to drive faster. So I, I might do that down 75, um, even when I'm not in a hurry. You know what I mean? Like, I'm speeding. I'm not even in a hurry. I'm not late for anything. I just, you know, kind of enjoy this. So now I'm, I'm speeding. And there's this thing that happens that, you know, eventually somebody will cut me off. You know, like somebody will not even turn on their blinker and they'll just kind of like whip over into my lane. And, and then I've got to slow down and, and you know, and I'm, and, and I'm all frustrated with this person, right? And, and, and really what I'm doing is I'm like, I'm looking around. Whenever this person like cuts me off, I'm looking around for some kind of like law enforcement, you know, to be like, come on, like, you know, did you see this guy? Did you, did you see this? Mind you, I'm speeding, right? Like, but, but, but I am frustrated with this person in front of me, right? And, and, and so, so here's what I've realized. This may be kind of like human nature, right? Here's what I've realized. We want grace to be extended to ourselves 
and justice to be exacted on others. Right? I want to say that again, and I think we have a slide for you. We want grace to be extended to ourselves and justice to be exacted on others. You ever experienced this? Maybe, maybe, maybe this one hurts a little bit more than it should, right? Like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speeding, and, and if I ever got pulled over, I would hope that that um, police officer is graceful to me, you know, and, 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 but, but I hope that he or she also exacts justice on the person who cut me off. Maybe we've experienced this in our relationships. You know, maybe we've made a comment that, that was maybe just offhand and, and it wasn't very kind to the other person and, and, and they've gotten upset. They've responded to that. And, and our response to, to their response is really, hey, come on, give me some slack. I didn't mean it like that. You know, like, I, I, I was really just having a rough day or whatever. Please give me some slack. But if they were ever to say something to us, you know, we, we would want some justice. We, we would want to be able to hold them, you know, like in, in this kind of contempt, we would want to be able to like exact some kind of justice upon them. They, they, they now owe me for the comment that they made and, and I'm going to, you know, cash in on that later. I'm not going to do it now and, and I'm going to hold on to this kind of unforgiveness. Why? Because they made that comment to me. We want grace to be extended to ourselves. We want justice to be exacted upon others. Maybe we experience this at work. You know, we had a project that was coming up, uh, some kind of documents that, you know, were, had been waiting on our desk that we've really been putting off, and, and, and we waited a little bit longer than we should so that the thing came in late, and then, you know, whenever we were brought in uh, to talk to our supervisor or even our team about why this is late, we really wanted some grace. You know, hey, give me a break. Come on. You know, we, I've got this going on, or, you know, that we, we had this over the weekend, so I really couldn't work on it. And, you know, this is, this is why it was late, and I want you to understand the context why, so that you will extend some grace to me. But if somebody else comes in, comes up short, right? If somebody turns in that late project, if somebody, you know, doesn't do the thing that they were supposed to be doing, we, we hope that justice is exacted upon them, maybe even to the fullest extent. You know what? You know what? They've been, they've been slacking for way too long. They, they need to be let go. They need to be reprimanded. They need to be demoted. They, they need all of these things. Why? Because we want grace to be extended to ourselves and, and justice to be exacted upon others. But what we learn about, what we learn about, especially in the Gospels, is that this, this, this idea of grace, the, the simple idea, the concept of grace, the, the, the philosophy, the principle, the, that, that grace, the simple by simple definition of grace, it cannot be simply given to one person and not another. And what we realize is that when we start to treat grace for actually what it is, this, this universal love toward all of God's creation, when, when we start to understand what grace is, we start to realize that this grace, when it's, when it's not just specifically applied, when it's not just like you get it, but you don't, and you get it, but you don't, when we learn the, the kind of universal applicability of grace, we learn that it actually has the capacity to change the world. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we unpack this story that Jesus tells in, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and so here's what we learn in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. We, we find Jesus there. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus in the Gospels, he begins to tell this story. Again, maybe you've heard it or maybe you haven't, but he tells this story. He says this, that there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. 
And so he divided his property between them. Jesus tells this really kind of like outlandish story, and it's outlandish in really kind of several different ways. And and he tells the story, he says, there was this father who had two sons, and the younger one came to the father. Now, when Jesus tells the story about uh, two brothers, um, Israel, the, the people to whom Jesus is telling the story, the Hebrews, when he tells the story about two brothers, Israel immediately identifies with the younger brother. All right, like this is, this is, like if you read the Old Testament, what you find is that the younger brother is the hero of the story, right? So anytime like Jesus is setting up the story, or anytime you told a story in the ancient Near East, especially to Hebrews, and you said they're two brothers, they're like, younger brother's the hero, it's the underdog, that's us, you know, like, like we're the younger brother, right? Isaac and Ishmael, uh, Jacob and Esau, Joseph, the younger of 12 brothers, it, it continues over and over again. We hear these hero stories of the younger brothers. So when Jesus sets up this story and he says there, were, there was a father with two sons, Israel's like, all right, come on, younger brother. And he says, and the youngest brother went to his father and said, Father, give me your inheritance, the the share that is mine. Well, this is obviously a slap in the face, right? Because the younger son is going to his father and saying, Father, you are worth more dead to me than alive. Your, Your value in my life is purely monetary, I have waited long enough for you to pass on. I, I want it now. Even more outlandish, even more unbelievable than, than a younger son telling his father to drop dead is the father giving him the money. Right? Like, so this younger son comes up to his father and he like, makes this like, really insensitive remark to his father. It says, you know what, give me, give me that money now. And what's even more unbelievable than that is the father turning around and giving it to his son. So this is the way Jesus sets up the story. Jesus says, all right, there was a father with two sons. And Israel goes, all right, come on, younger brother. And the younger son does this really mean thing to his father. And they're like, oh, I didn't think that was the way it was going to go. And, and then not only did the son make that comment to the father, but the father turns around and gives the money to the son. And we read this again and in, in, uh, continue the story in Luke 15, verse 13. A few days later... The younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. Well, you can almost kind of guess this part of the story, right? Like, like this, is, this is the outcome of a younger son being given everything the younger son desires, right? As the youngest son, I can attest to this story, right? I, I was accused of, of being the golden child that could do no wrong, that, you know, maybe the parents spoiled a little bit more. And, and, and even if you have a golden child, I just want to say on behalf of them, thank you. It's been a great life. I've really enjoyed it. Um, no, but, but you, you can, like, like, this part of the story is the, like, the yeah, duh part of the story, right? Um, you know, the son goes and asks for the father for everything. The father gives him everything. And then the younger son goes and squanders it, right? Okay, yes, this, this makes sense. This is the logical kind of traction of the story. 
And, and, and this story, again, as Jesus is telling this story to Hebrews, there's a lot of things that kind of like trigger the Hebrews, right? So here's the younger son, the, the, the one that they identified with. Um, he goes and he essentially slaps his dad in the face and, and his father says, you know, here's the money and, and, the, and the son goes off. He, he goes to a distant country, right? So he's, he's not in the homeland anymore. He, he's not like, he's not with the good guys anymore. He's in a distant place. Um, and there he squanders his money, Scripture says, in dissolute living, right? And, and you can only imagine what that would be, um, really doing a lot of unsavory things. And, and there he loses all of his money. He spends it all. And not only that, but to add insult to injury, a famine comes across the land, right? So, so not only does he lose all of his money, but everybody in the land kind of essentially loses all uh, of, of their savings. They lose everything because there's a famine in the land. So, so now he really didn't have anything, and he ends up hiring himself as a hired hand to somebody in a distant country. Now, again, this is kind of a trigger for the Hebrew people, right? They have kind of a strong reaction um, to, to anybody being in servitude to somebody else of another country. This is like the story of Exodus, right? They, they were enslaved in Egypt, the Hebrews were, and, and they cried out in that land and God liberated them. And, and, and they decided at that moment to never again be in that kind of situation, right? So, so this is kind of a trigger for them. Okay, so the, the youngest son whom you identify with goes to a distant country and decides to hire himself to somebody else as a hired hand. They're like, okay, there's the trigger. And then not only that, but now he has to feed the pigs, this, this unclean animal by religious law that they're not allowed to like touch or, 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 or eat these animals. And, and so, but worse yet, he's with these animals. He's caring for them. He's, he's handling them all the time and he's feeding them. And this thought crosses his mind that he would like to eat the food that the pigs are eating. Again, unclean and unsavory. And, and, and really, this is just like for somebody in this kind of situation to be at such a low. And no one gives him anything. But finally he comes to. Finally he comes to in, in Luke 15, verse 17. He came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to eat, bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So we set off and went to his father. Our friends and, and family who have uh, gone through um, any kind of anonymous program, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, know this experience of what pe people typically call rock bottom, right? And it's different for everyone. There, there's a different rock bottom for, for everyone. But once you reach that point, you realize the situation that you've placed yourself in, how, how your actions and your outcomes have, have placed yourself in, in, in such this awful situation. And the good news about rock bottom is that now you have an opportunity to get back up, right? Now you have an opportunity to actually make a change that, that, that for one reason or another, these outcomes, this action that has caused this chain of events, that was the thing you needed in order to turn your life around and do something different, right? That, that you've proven to yourself that the current way you're living is unsustainable. And, and this younger son looks around himself now, finally, as he's hoping that he can eat the food that the pigs have left over. Now he has hit rock bottom. And he thinks to himself, you know, my father's hired hands have it better than I do right now. 
And so he makes this decision and he, and he works up this speech. And I love that this speech is in, that, that Jesus includes it, that the, the gospel writer includes this speech that he works on saying to himself, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. This is the speech. And I imagine that like as he gets up and he sets out to his father's house, I imagine that he just like works this speech over and over and over again. You know, okay, as soon as I see him, like this is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Uh, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Father, uh, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Over and over and over again he works and he has so much time to think about this as he's just dragging his way all the way home and and he's starving and, and every step seems like agony as he continues this trek back. And Jesus continues the story. But while he was still far off, while the sun on his way back, was still off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. But while the son was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The son from a distant, far-off country begins to make his way back. And he's working on this speech his entire way. And again, he is starving and and his clothes are just probably like falling off of him at this point. And, And he's rehearsing this speech over and over again. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. How did the father see him? Because the father was looking for him. While he was still far off, was not that the father like saw him out of the corner of his eye. The son was far off, which meant that the father had been watching the horizon ever since the son left. I imagine a father that every morning and every evening sits on the porch and waits for his son to return. And as he looks toward the horizon, he thinks one day, one day he will be back. And I imagine that as the son was rehearsing his speech for that journey back home, every day the son was gone, the father was rehearsing on what he was going to do when the son came back. That the son may be rehearsing his speech for three days' journey back, but the father had been rehearsing his actions every day the son was gone. Jesus said that while the son was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, he began his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, before the son could even finish his speech, the father said to his slaves, quick, put on a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Before the son can ever finish his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. You've been working on this speech. You've been preparing it. But before he could ever get it out, the father runs, hugs him, kisses him. It puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger. That ring is called a signet ring. It's, a, it's your signature. It's, it's like the family crest so that like, when, you, when you sign something, you use this ring. And In other words, the father puts the signet ring back on his finger and says, you are my son again. He says, kill the fatted calf, the thing we've been preparing since my son left. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus says, and we've discussed before, that there is more celebration in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. Jesus said, and I hope we never forget this. I, I think as Christians, a lot of times we'll read about Jesus and, and we tend to like cling to the things that like already associate with, you know, like our things that we like. And then we kind of, you know, read some other things and that kind of make us feel differently. And so we kind of push those aside. And, 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 and I understand that. And, and, and trust me, I have the same temptation. But if Jesus isn't frustrating you, then maybe it's not the full Jesus. So I hope that we'll just take a moment and remember that Jesus said there is more celebration in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. That may mean, if you've been following Jesus, you know, and you say, like, I've grown up in the church, or, or maybe I came back and, and, you know, I reaffirmed my faith, and, and I'm so glad that, you know, like, I'm, I'm in this, and I want to let you know we are so glad that you are here. If you've, if you've been here before, if you're a part of this community, I want to let you know that I love you, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you've been online with us, and you want, you, like, I've been grinding it out online for a year, and my kids are going crazy, and maybe nobody's watching right now until we started talking like this, and you're like, oh, it's me, um, but, but but I want to let you know, like, like if you have been a part of this church, I want to let you know we love you and are so glad that you are here. But there is a chance that when we have a baptism, like we, like we did with baby Carlisle last Sunday, when, especially when, when somebody comes to faith, when an adult professes their faith, maybe even for the first time, there is more celebration in that moment there is, there is more celebration. Why? Because God has been watching the horizon for that one. God has been standing on the porch ever since that son or daughter left. And God has been planning the celebration that will happen when that son or daughter comes back. And so maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're here in person, or maybe you're online and, and you don't know what you believe. And, and, you know, I'm not sure what I believe about this Jesus. I'm not sure what I believe about God. And, you know, I'm just kind of here checking things out. I want to let you know that there is always a chance. There's always an opportunity to come back. You are never too far off. That you are welcome here. One reason you're welcome here is because we love you. 
We love you, not because of what you've done or what you've achieved, but because you're a child of God. But more than that, God loves you. And God has been watching the horizon for you. So this thing happens. Jesus tells this story. He says, the younger son whom you associate with slaps his father in the face, says, I'm out of here. And the father gives him money. He goes and he squanders it as anybody could imagine he would, right? Everybody saw this come and he goes, he squanders it and he finds himself selling himself into servitude in a foreign land uh, of which we know not to do. And he's, he's, he's working with pigs which are unclean and he wants to eat the food and that the unclean animals are eating, which of course is unclean. Finally, he hits rock bottom and he says, you know what? I'm gonna go back. And so he begins to go back to the father and and what's crazy is that the father runs up and kisses him and and puts the robe back on him a signet ring on his finger he throws this giant party for the son Jesus said the story isn't over he continues in verse 25 of Luke 15 he says this now his elder son the father's elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked them what was going on and he replied your brother has come And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry. The older son becomes angry and refuses to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. And he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Anybody ever done that? This son of yours? You won't believe what your son did, your child did. You you won't believe what your dog did. That's even worse, right? Like, you know, this this is now your responsibility. Your son came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. Grace is this idea. Grace is this idea that that God loves you. Regardless of who you are, God loves you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of where you've been or what you've achieved. God loves you simply because you are God's. That's grace. And, and, and sometimes Christians get this idea of grace and, and, and we think of this idea of grace and, and, and once we like spend enough time with it, we, we can start to kind of maybe even abuse it a little. And, and, and again, we fall back into that human nature of wanting to extend grace to ourselves, but justice to be exacted upon others. And, and that's what the older son is hoping for. The older son comes back out of the field, right? He's been working that day and, 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 and he has to ask one of the hired hands what's going on in there. And he says, oh, uh, well, I thought you would have known, right? Like, you know, like you ever been like triangulated like this? Like, oh, I thought they told you. And then you know, like it's obvious to the hired hand that you know, this older son has not been told, you know? And you're like, oh, um, this is uncomfortable. But um, well, your brother is back and, and your father threw him a party. And, and, and then like, you know, he might've done that thing where like he pretended like somebody else was talking to him like further away like what was that oh I gotta go I'm sorry like and the older son refuses to go in and the father pleads with him 
And they have this exchange in which the older son, you know, I've been here this whole time and you haven't thrown me a party. Why are you doing this now? And I imagine that if Jesus hadn't already said it, he would have used it in this passage as well. There's more celebration over one person who repents, over one person who comes back, than over 99 who need no repentance. Son, everything I have is yours. You've been with me this entire time, and I've been thankful, but we had to celebrate. The thing about this story, there's this, this term prodigal. Prodigal, and, and maybe if you grew up in like Christian circles, you, you've heard the term like prodigal son. Um, and, but we, prodigal isn't really a word that we use very often. Um, prodigal actually refers to somebody who, who spends lavishly. So prodigal actually means who, who spends lavishly, extravagantly, or actually even irresponsibly, right? And, and so it makes sense that we would call um, this story the story of the prodigal son. Why? Because the, the son receives all of this money and then spends it all, squanders it all. But I think what this story is actually about is the story of a prodigal father. The story of a prodigal father who, who takes his son's share of the inheritance and gives it to him. That's prodigal, yes. But what's even more prodigal, what's even more outlandish is the fact that when the son returns, the father is prodigal with his grace and his love to extend it to this son who has done nothing to earn his forgiveness. What's even more unfair about this story, what's even more irresponsible about this story is not the son going and spending the money and having the audacity to come back. What's more irresponsible about this story is a father who is willing to forgive him. But that's the thing about grace. Grace that is only applied to some people will not change the world. Grace that is given to some and not to others is is simply what everyone else in the world does without faith in their life. My hope, my prayer is that this morning we would learn about the grace of God through Jesus Christ and, and that we would extend it to others. So here's my hope and my prayer for you this morning. It's that we would all have the power to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Now, there may be new boundaries in your relationship when you forgive this person. There, there may be a new way to live with this person or, or do something. But, friends, my hope and prayer is that we would forgive them, if not for their sake, for ours. That we would have the power to forgive them. Because that kind of grace will change the world. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning. God, that, that, that this morning we, we would feel not only convicted, God, maybe just a, a little bit poked this morning, God, but I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move us to action, that we would understand the grace that you have extended to the younger son, the younger daughter. God, that we would understand that you are on the porch searching the horizon for your lost children. And God, we pray that we would have the strength and courage to celebrate with you when they are found. God, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our friends. We pray for our family members who are still far off, who are in that distant country, who have not yet hit rock bottom, who have not yet discovered the love that you have for them. God, we pray that we would help. 
that we would join the search party. And God, most of all, we pray that we would have the strength and power and courage to forgive even and especially when others don't deserve it. We pray it by the power of the Holy Spirit and the mighty name of Jesus Christ who came and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.